Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative, and lifestyle medicine. Today's show topic is how food elimination saved me from four or five specialists. And that's me, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm going to talk about myself. And uh, it sounds dramatic, save, but in one sense it's very true. If I didn't know what I knew over the years, I probably would have seen multiple specialists for some chronic complaints that I have that I've always kept under control with food. So I've been practicing primary care as an integrative lifestyle medicine physician assistant since April of 1993. You know, that's 36-plus years. I, sometimes I feel pretty ancient. And One of the, the things I learned in the very first practice I worked in Marina Del Rey was that the physician put everybody on kind of a detox program. And basically what he did was he put everybody on a vegetable puree for two weeks with some psyllium seed husks. They got some coffee enemas, uh, some vitamins. And in that two-week period, a lesson really sunk into my consciousness that food could cause any symptom. I saw everything improve from joint pain to headaches to inflammatory bowel diseases to arthritis to fatigue uh, to you know some bad illnesses you know changing dramatically like rheumatoid arthritis so any complaint can improve with food elimination or food could cause any complaint and so I have a couple of points I want to go over that I think are of value. Point number one is is that usually food reactions are not true allergic reactions. And so many times it won't show up in a traditional uh, IgE mediated, immediate onset um, type of allergy testing such as a prick or a scratch screen test that most allergists, ENT doctors, GI or primary care doctors might order. So the, the word food intolerance is better. That doesn't mean you feel any better whether it's a food allergy or food intolerance. but um, it won't be found out in the traditional way. You just have to eliminate it and challenge. Point number two is, is that most of your food sensitivities can change. So don't get locked into, I was tested way back 10 years ago and I wasn't sensitive to X and I'm eating a lot of it now and you're not feeling well. You can be sensitive to any food and your food sensitivities can change for, because of your stress, because of your age, and, but mo probably most importantly because of your gut health and exposures uh, over the years. Point number three, when a symptom comes out of nowhere, always go, what did I just eat? What is new in my diet? If you have a chronic problem that you've had for a long time, go through your diet and go, what do I crave? What do I eat for seven days a week? And just try and eliminate those. Point number four is if you've ever gone on a fast or restricted diet and you've traveled and changed your diet dramatically for any reason, pay attention. Did you, did you feel better? Was it, not just, it wasn't just because of stress you went on vacation, you got away from eating the normal foods you ate. So pay attention and remember what you ate and more importantly what sometimes you didn't eat. And realize this, point number five, it only takes one food to cause multiple complaints. For example, you could eat a pristine uh, diet and you could eat, let's say, yogurt every morning. You're just attached to it and everything else is fine. But you could have a headache from that, you could have constipation from that, you could have bloating and gas from that. You could have a snotty nose from that. And I'm picking on dairy because I've seen it. So one food can cause multiple complaints. And it's going to be part of my story as well. There's four or five foods I've been watching or, or dietary habits I've been watching over the last five or ten years. And I know if I go and ask excess in any one of them, I don't feel too sharp. And those are, um, I'm a one cup a day uh, coffee person, at least I was. I used to drink a couple of cups of green and black tea, but I don't anymore. But that was basic and then you know maybe three nights a week or something like that I go out and have a couple of beers or some kind of alcoholic beverage if I had you know a couple pieces of dark chocolate in combination with those things sometimes I get a headache in fact with dark chocolate or even any chocolate for that matter it would over the last couple of years it was like the headache the next day it was really funny and so I would go yeah I got away with it and then I go 
the next day I'd have this headache and I'd go, where did it come from? And it was always that. So those are my kind of four trigger foods, chocolate, alcohol, uh, tea, and, and coffee. So there's four or five complaints that I can control that I know are aggravated by a combination of those or one of those. And one was an esophageal spasm. And an, an esophageal spasm feels like what a description of a heart attack is. You can have this just tremendous sternal uh, pain. It's an ache. Um, sometimes it's like, it's like if you squalled a golf ball and you can't get it down your esophagus to get relieved and, and your, you know, tears in your eyes. I mean, it's painful. But I realized that sometimes it would happen with, you know, coffee in particular. If I got, you know, two cups in a day or, or, or it was a stressful week and then, you know, I drank a little bit more than I would normally, which is just a cup. So that was that. The other complaints that are symptoms that I have, I get a headache. I'm going to be behind my right eye. And it was always when I backtracked, it was either chocolate or, again, chocolate coffee together or alcohol. I mean, I just, you know, I've always been sensitive to alcohol. So I don't, fortunately, that's one reason I don't drink very much. So that's good. The other complaint, I've had some weird skin rashes and tea and coffee and alcohol definitely will keep those away. If I do a little bit of excess, boom, they come back. And muscle cramps. So I have muscle cramps sometimes at nighttime. And then sometimes I'd just be sitting and I'd flex my knee or whatever or my calf and boom, you know, I'd have a cramp. And I always noticed that one was kind of related to to coffee and, and caffeine intake. But I could keep all those kind of at bay. And, and so I always knew if I those happened that what it was from. So, you know, I can treat myself, just don't do it. But one complaint came kind of out of nowhere in the fall of 2018. And, you know, you always notice sometimes, or I did, you know, if you have some coffee, you might have to go to the bathroom more. Well, I started to have to urinate way more. You know, I was thinking, man, you know, I'm 61. This gets crazy. This isn't, can't be right. And, you know, like a short plane flight, and I'd be worried, you know, and I have to run to the bathroom on the plane and, and, you, and go to the bathroom beforehand. So, and it just was harder to hold my urine, long drives. And so, anyway, I, I kept, you know, I got, this is unusual, and I actually tested myself for urinary tract infection, and there was nothing. And I'm going, hmm. I, and I was suspicious coffee was playing a role. And, and those foods I just share with you. So I said, all right, let's go off every single one of these. Coffee, tea, I was pretty much off tea anyway, alcohol and, and chocolate. And, and when I went off them, bingo, it was like instantaneously. And it was really the caffeinated coffee, I'm almost positive, that immediately the urination symptoms were gone. Boom, could hold my urine. I mean, it was like one day, you know, I, I can't have, you know, two glasses of water before I get an airplane. And, and I'm, you know, running to the bathroom on the airplane. And, and then, you know, a week later, I'm fine. I'm drinking my smoothie before I get on a plane and I can hold it the whole time. So that was quite dramatic. And so then I tested it. So I went and I had a cup of uh, uh, decaf coffee. Sure enough, nothing happened. Got away with that. No problem. None of the other complaints were aggravated. And then I went and had coffee. And when I did that, sure enough, frequency started to come back. I didn't do it that long to make it very uncomfortable. Um, I get a little twinge one day. I remember having, you know, some coffee um, and I get a twinge right underneath my sternum with the beginnings. You can tell if you've had these before, you can have a, the beginnings of kind of a cramp there. So <clears throat> the moral of the story is, is that if you just always ask when you have a complaint, a medical problem, can food play a role? And in my opinion, it's probably 80 or 90% of what I see in my office has some type of food intolerance related to it. So always ask yourself what you eat frequently and go off it periodically. So that's the second moral of the story. The second moral of the story is we don't have little buffers I mean, I do this for a living, so if I do it to myself, I'm pretty stupid, okay? So I know to, I, I'm going to take breaks and, and find out what food does to me. But if you don't know that, then you want to have built-in kind of food break. And so one of the ways to do it is just say, I'm going to do, let's say, Kirk's basic elimination diet every four to six months. 
and that's a handout that I have a link to right here. Basically, has a 10 common food allergens off it, and just say, I'm going to eat whole foods off that list and see what happens. Um, the others you can just pick out yourself, what you eat the most frequently, um, you know, four to seven times a week, and don't eat those for a week. The other would be some kind of fasting. Um, I like the fasting mimicking diet for a lot of people, unless they're sensitive to, to nuts, because it automatically gets them off the, the three, in my opinion, most common allergens, which is dairy, uh, wheat-related uh, products, and confectionery foods, and eggs, and that's off on the, on the diet. Or the ultimate is, when I get people who are really just, they just don't believe or don't want to believe anything I tell them, is go do a water fast. Because if you do a water fast, and all of a sudden you feel better, I hate to tell you, it's what you put in your mouth. Now, your gut has a chance to heal when you go on a water fast, but that doesn't happen in two days. So those are all different things you can do. And I have links to a place called the True North Health Center where they do water fasting, but you can do a, a shorter versions of those. Sometimes we'll put people on a hypoallergenic pea and rice protein uh, product to maintain muscle mass, and then I just have them eat vegetables and a little bit of whole fruit and see what happens. And many times you'll find out in just a week. Because you want to stay off the foods you commonly eat for four to seven days minimum before you really evaluate them. And then when you reintroduce foods, always pay attention because that's where the payoff comes from. Many people notice when they get off foods there's an improvement, but many people say, nah, nothing really happened. And all of a sudden they, they, they add back in the food and they go, you know, I mean it every day and I, it really does something. So I'll have links to my website or I'll have links underneath the summary of this podcast uh, to a basic elimination diet, to the prolonged fasting mimicking diet, to True North Health Center. You are welcome to go to those links. I think you'll learn a lot. And my name is Kirk Hamilton. I hope you have a fabulous day and go and listen to this either at stayinghealthytoday.com or in iTunes. Talk to you soon.